you know, uh, I don't know all the words of the song, but it was like, you know, when every tongue will praise you in their native cry and, you know, to watch these people suffer. But they're in this room together and they're not complaining, you know, they're um, singing in their native tongue praises to the Lord. And I think uh, sometimes we just don't realize what a privilege that we have to sing praises to the Lord and how perfectly it goes, you know, with the beginning of, um, of today's um, message in Philippians 4, 8 to 23, we're going to be studying today. So let's, let's bow our hearts and pray before the Lord. Father, we are a privileged people. Lord, beyond what we can even comprehend, to know that you are the God of this universe, to know every single thing exists because you spoke it into existence. And you call us to come, Lord. You call your daughters to sit at your feet, to take time out of their day and just to turn our eyes off of the things of the world, to shut off the TV, to shut off the radio, to shut off all the noise that takes up the space in our heads, Lord, and, and just to turn our gaze upon Jesus and to look full in your wonderful face, God. And the things of this earth just go passing by, Lord, because of who you are, Lord, because where our hope is and where our trust is. And we are so grateful that we have this privilege, God, to sit and to hear from you, Lord. And so we ask this morning that your Holy Spirit would meet us here, Lord, that you would um, just speak to our hearts, God, that what we hear from you today would, um, would stay with us, that we not only listen, Lord, but that we would apply it to our daily lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So <clears throat> Philippians 4, and like Yvonne said, we are at the finish line, and uh, you know, a lot of times when you see somebody crossing the finish line, they're exhausted and sweaty and just out of breath. And, you know, sometimes reading God's word can be like that. You know, it's like so much to take in. And the good thing is we don't have to just take it all in, in one day and apply it in one day. It's like piece by piece, little by little, whatever, wherever we find ourselves in on a certain day, God's word is going to come and it's going to speak to our hearts and minister to us. So if you want to open up to Philippians 4, and we're going to begin in verse 8. And I'm going to kind of go in order and not in order, just for certain reasons today. Because <laughs> that's just me. I'm out of order. <laughs> I should have the sign here. But uh, in, in verse 8 of Philippians 4, Paul says, Finally, brethren... Whatever, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is any pra- anything praiseworthy, meditate upon these things. And a few weeks ago when I was sharing, of course the Lord gives me the word finally in both teachings, and I couldn't help but think like, aren't we glad that we didn't listen to Paul when he said, finally, and just shut our Bibles and think that was the end. Because there's so much more that Paul has to say to us. And um, I, I do, you know, when I study, I have like a bunch of different versions of the Bible, and sometimes I pick pick and choose like which one I really like. And I did like the NLT version of verse 8. Now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. 
Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. And all of these things that Paul is telling us is where our focus should be, you know, where our mindset should be. And, you know, God is always speaking to me so uh, sometimes a little bit, not harshly, but like very firmly, because my thoughts, you know, have a tendency to just wander and and they go you know like James tells us don't do don't um, go with the winds you know and sometimes my thoughts go with the wind depending on the circumstances in life but our thought life is so so very important there's so many verses in the Bible that remind us why our thought life is important and why Paul is exhorting us in this verse. The Lord knows us. He framed us. He created us. And so he knows that even though we're created in his image, that we live in a fallen world. And he knows that we're going to go through trials and we're not always going to get them right the first time or the second time or the hundredth time. He knows that sometimes when we face difficulties in life, when we face the unknown, that our thought isn't going to be the first thing like, oh, praise the Lord for this trial. He knows that about us, and, but he still encourages us with his word. And Paul is trying to exhort us in these, this verse 8 about our mind, about our thoughts. Jesus tells us in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. Sometimes we have the heart right and we have the soul right, but we forget about loving him with all of our mind because it's easy to be so um, filled up in our heads with the things that this world wants to fill our heads with. It's easy for our thoughts to start running away with us. You know, we can think one little thing and before we know it, we're on the couch an hour later and, you know, we're, we're dead. You know, we, we figured from a headache to probably I'm going to be dying or, you know, we think the worst possible scenarios in life when we let our thoughts get away with us. We want to make sense, especially us as women. You know, for me, I'm very practical. If I do A, then B should happen. And that's not how life is, unfortunately. And so our thoughts can start going and we can start to question and we can start to wonder, why, Lord? Why are you allowing these things to happen in my life? I did what you told me to do. I was on the right path. I I surrendered this. I did that. But you're still allowing these bad things to happen. And so because, you know, some of us, we want to make sense of everything, we don't take the thoughts where they need to be, and we allow them to run away with us. We become angry easily. You know, if we don't capture our thoughts, our thoughts can take us to places that are dark. Places that the Lord doesn't want us to be in. And then we can turn those thoughts into anger towards the Lord because we think that he's not providing for us or he's not doing. You know, we raised our kids in a Christian church. We put them in the Christian school. We sacrifice, and they're not walking with the Lord. And so our thoughts can run away with us. Why, Lord? So-and-so's kid was a rebel. They didn't sacrifice like I did. They didn't send their kids to church, but their kids are doing great. We have to learn to take those thoughts captive. That's what Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 10.5, to bring every thought into captivity, into the obedience of Christ. It's a surrendering 
of our rights. It's a surrendering of our will. It's a surrendering even of our own understanding. Remember, it says, um, David wrote, like, lean not on your own understanding. I don't know about you, but I love leaning on my own understanding. I think I know better than the Lord. He can handle these big things, right? But when it comes to my household, when it comes to jobs, or when it comes to paying the bills, I know better because I know, how to, I know how to do those things. But Paul tells us that we are to bring every single thought captive into obedience. There's an obedience that's associated with bringing our thoughts to the Lord. Because if we don't bring every single thought, then the, and we allow the enemy a foothold into our thought life. And then we don't know where we're going to end up in our thought life. And... Rather than thinking our thoughts, Paul is telling us to think about these things, to think about the things that are true, to think about the things that are praiseworthy. On our worst day, when things are going awful, we have so much that we can praise God for. We have so much that we can be praiseworthy of. Romans 12.12, Paul says, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It's a whole change. You know, once we're saved, once we are daughters of the king, he wants us to change our mind, change our way of thinking. This is how the world taught you to think. This is what you were taught maybe in your household, or this is how you were taught to think in school. But I'm going to show you a different way. It's a constant renewing of our mind. You know, we don't just wash our hair one time a week. Well, most of us don't. But, uh, you know, we have to constantly be surrendering our thoughts. We have to constantly allow the Holy Spirit into our thought life and allow him to take those things that are going on inside of our head and renew them and make them more like Jesus This is how we once thought, and now we're going to think this way. And they're choices. You know, God doesn't make us. Sometimes I wish he would, and he does in some ways. But sometimes I just wish, you know, like um, everything we've taught our kids not to. God is not a genie. You don't just rub him, and he grants you your three wishes. But sometimes I find myself, just make me do the right thing because I'm tired of making those choices. I can't really make the right choice right now. And think. Thankfully, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, and he helps us in our times of need. He helps us in our weaknesses. He helps us to make those right choices because God gave us a free will. God allows us to make this choice and that choice, and we're going to suffer the consequences many times for the choices that we do make, but there's his grace and there's his Holy Spirit that's living inside of us. When we find ourselves going astray in our thoughts, then we just say, Lord, I've gone astray. Get me back on track. It's that simple. We don't have to brood and we don't have to sit there and feel bad about ourselves and feel guilty about not bringing our thoughts into captivity, about responding to a situation in the wrong. We're just like, Lord, I blew it. (laughs) He knows. So it's not a surprise to him when we admit it to him. It's for us. It's for our cleansing. It's for our spirit inside of us. Take those things to the Lord and make that choice, as Paul said um, in Colossians 3, 2, to set our minds on things that are above. 
And that word set, it's like an action that we have to take, an action that we have to choose to take. And I was thinking, you know, sometimes I'm sitting on my couch and I'm looking around at things because even though we moved like a year and a half ago, I still have boxes, I still have things that are not in the right order. And I think, oh, that will look really nice if I put it over there. And it's just a thought. But I never take action upon that thought. I never actually pick up that vase and put it and set it where I think it would look good. But see, this is what Paul is saying, like, set your mind. You have to do it. You have to choose to set our minds on the things that are above, even when it's difficult. You know, like I I said earlier about these people in the Ukraine, you know, and there's war all around them. There's families that are broken apart. There's bombings and sirens and all of these things. And yes, those things are a part of their daily life right now. But many of them, many of God's people are choosing to set their minds on things above, not trying to figure it out, not trying to understand why or how, but they're choosing to turn their eyes upon Jesus and set their thoughts on the things that are above. It's all about what we're choosing to do. God is not going to force us to do that. He gives us the choice. In verse 9, Paul reminds them that you've seen me. You've seen the things that I've gone through in my life. You've seen me go through this and that. The things which you learned and received and you heard from me and you saw in me, these things do. And the God of peace will be with you. Paul was put into prison. He was stoned. He was beaten. And yet he was an example to these Philippians not to always be thinking about your circumstances. Not to be woe is me and have pity. I'm, I'm really good at woe is me, especially lately. I've found myself, I needed like a little kick in the pants <laughs> to, to read uh, this portion of Philippians, you know, and be reminded about where my thoughts are and what kind of an example am I being to others when every time they call me, I'm whining and complaining about what God isn't doing rather than turning my thoughts and giving him praise and glory for what he has done and trusting in what he will do. Last week, Catherine shared um, Isaiah 26.3, you keep him in perfect and constant peace, the one whose mind is steadfast. That is the one who's committed and focused upon you. That's the secret, is to turn our eyes upon Jesus and looking full in his face. Not on our TV stations, not even, you know, what our friends might be discussing, but taking everything to Jesus. And that's how we're going to end up like Paul, being able to say, well, look at my example. You know, it's a challenging, it's a challenging question. What kind of an example are we to those around us when we go through the hardships? We can, we can be great examples when everything's going our way. And it doesn't need to be fake. We don't have to say, well, praise the Lord, I don't have a job. But we can say, you know, praise the Lord. I don't know how, but I know my God is going to provide. I know that my God is going to do it. It's all about our thoughts. It's, it's about what's in our mind. And when Jesus is our focus, despite our circumstances, and that's what Paul so beautifully exemplified in his life to the other Christians. We can have that peace that passes all understanding. It doesn't make sense to other people. It doesn't even make sense to ourselves at times. 
but it will make sense because our eyes are on Jesus and not on ourselves. We can have peace in the midst of not even knowing what's going to happen tomorrow. And then Paul switches gear uh, in, in beginning in verse 10. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I've learned in whatever state that I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Here Paul shares with them his gratefulness and his thankfulness for them and their generosity towards him, towards the gifts that they gave to him in his ministry, and even when they weren't able to give. You know, when circumstances arose and they were unable to either collect the funds for him or they were unable to get it to him, Paul learned how to be content. And that's an important word for us, learned, because it's not like Paul said, I've mastered it, or, you know, he's a very humble. We saw through all of Paul's writings how humble he is before the Lord. It's not him, but it's Christ in him who he gives to the glo- all the glory. Paul says he learned how to be content. Maybe he didn't get it right the first times or the second times. Maybe he sat there sometimes not knowing where he would get his next meal from or how he was going to afford to get to the next place that the Holy Spirit was urging him to go to. But through trials and through want and through need, Paul learned how to be content because he could always turn back and he could always look at his Lord and he could always look at the provision that God would provide for him. Paul learned by experience, by trusting God and knowing the promises of God. Do we know the promises of God? It's not enough just to read the promises of God, but we need to know them. We need to hide those promises deep within our hearts so we too can learn, as Paul did, to be content in all circumstances, that we can see the goodness of God over and over again in our lives and in our families. If Paul had need, he said he was content. If he had plenty, he was content. And that's, that's a good thing in there because sometimes when we have plenty, we just get um, uh, like anxious, I guess, like for more. Oh, this feels really good. This is really great. I have a plus in my checking account this month. And then we're not content because then what are we going to do? Perhaps we're tempted to strive to have even more than that's in there. But whether he had less, whether he had more. We often would pray uh, when we lived in Hungary, you know, we learned how to be content. We learned uh, for the first years there that uh, our big thing was eating grilled cheese sandwiches uh, most every single day. And then when we had the plenty, then we could get the sliced ham uh, from the store. <laughs> Remember, Shelly? <laughs> and we would put the ham on the grilled cheese. And that was learning to be content, learning to be thrilled that God provided that we could have um, a piece of meat on our grilled cheese sandwich. And then there were times that, um, you know, 
so many times I would pray, like, okay, Lord, you say that uh, you, are, you own the cattle on a thousand hills. And sometimes it would be like, all right, it's time to sell a few cattle, Lord. We need you to sell a few cattle. And, you know, if the car was not working or the tires or something needed to be done, and then in desperation it would be like, okay, it's time to sell a few of those hills now. You know, the cattle's weren't enough. But no matter what, we learned through hardship sometimes. We learned, as Paul said, you know, even suffering need, how to be content. And my husband was the perfect example. My husband, I mean, if you don't know him, you should know him. Because he's, he's the type to, I would open up the cupboard doors and I'd be like, oh my gosh, there's nothing to eat. And Jim would go in the same exact cupboards and find something. And we have this name. We call them concoctions. And uh, when Marla got old enough and moved back to California, she's like, Mom, I really, really miss Dad's concoctions. He could, you could never write a cookbook because he can't remember, like, what he put in. And, you know, but it's that learning to be content with what God has chosen to allow us to have, even if it's a difficult time. We knew the Lord was faithful. You know, the, the, the times when you're in need, whether it's spiritually, whether it's economically, whatever it is, when you're in need and you think back later on after God has provided for that need, and you remember, I love that song, uh, I Have Lived in the Goodness of God. It makes me weep every time that, that we sing it because I have. I've lived in the goodness of God. I've seen God do above and beyond all that I could think or ever ask of him. He has always been our provider. Contentment, it's finding joy in what we already have in our lives. Are you finding joy in what God has given you? If you looked at your life today, are you content? He's not saying to be happy but are you content? Are you satisfied? Are you constantly looking for a way to get a new house, a new boat, a new this, a new that? It's okay to have things. God never says that you can't have things. But what he, uh, he tells us to do is to be content with what we have and not that our striving and not that our thoughts is always on something more, something better, something newer. To be content and satisfied not trying to find fulfillment in requiring uh, more materialistic things. Paul knew contentment because he knew Jesus Christ. He knew his Savior. And that's how we're able to know contentment is because we will know our Savior in times of need. And when Paul says he suffered need, he's not making light of it. We're not making light of uh, people who lost their jobs or people who are suffering loss. Paul's not saying, oh, well, just be glad. No, you're suffering. There is a suffering that Christians will endure. We're not any different than other people. The difference is in, in how we respond to that suffering. And where do we turn our thoughts? And where do we turn our eyes? Where do we turn our understanding? That's the difference. And God, Paul knew that God provided Everything that God told Paul would happen, it happened. And he knew, and that's why, again, you know, we do in this church, we talk so much about journaling. But to go back in your journals, I did that when I was in Italy, and I was, uh, <laughs> I had time to pack, and then I would always put it off because I would find my journals, 
And I would just like be sitting on the ground and just reading and crying and reading and, and just seeing, oh my gosh, I forgot all about that. I forgot, you know, when our middle daughter was getting married and, and she called us in Hungary and, and her fiance asked, you know, for her hand over the phone and stuff and forgot about freaking out. And, oh, my gosh, how can she get married? We have no money. You know, and, and my husband looked at me, like, it's the um, home phones at that time, you know, and he put the receiver like that, and he's like, why are you going to turn a rejoicing moment into this? And, and it was like, it was a moment, you know, it really was. And, and I wrote about it, and I wrote nice things about Jim. I didn't write anything bad. <laughs> I realized I need a Sharpie in some of those things, you know. And... Um, But it was like, I journaled, like, I don't know how, Lord. I don't know how you're going to provide. But I'm going to have faith, and I'm going to trust that you are going to provide. And he did, you know, and it wasn't through us, but it was through the generosity of some others that God did provide. And so I do encourage you, think back. You know, as we think all these thoughts, and and, and, uh, think back to the faithfulness of your God. It was, it's part of a learning process the more we go through our life and we experience and we look to God for every provision in our life, then the more we learn to be content with what we have. We go back to verse 8, and that's what we turn our thoughts back to. What are, what's occupying my mind? You know, sometimes we have to have those moments with the Lord and just, you know, I always say, He, he knows us. There's nothing in us, there's no thought that we have that he doesn't already know we're thinking, so just get it out. You know, just confess yourself to him. Get it out. Sometimes it's good to just say it out loud, too. And then Paul moves on to thanking um, these Philippians for partnering with him in the work of the ministry. God wanted to use these Philippians to bless Paul and to be a part of what Paul was doing. In 1 Corinthians 12, 18 through 21, the, uh, Paul says, As it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. It's such an important part of the body of Christ to realize we are one body of Christ. We're not all hands, we're not all ears, we're not all heads. We each have a different role. And these people, this Paul was recognizing and thanking them for doing their part in the body of Christ. No, they couldn't go where Paul was, but they could help. They could pray. They could be there for Paul when he came back. He has a, the Lord has a call for each of us, and not one call is more important than the other. Paul wasn't ever acting like he was more important than any of these people in the churches that helped him out. He realized he couldn't do what he did if it wasn't for God, them being obedient to the call that God had in their lives. In verse 15, Paul says, Now you Philippians... You know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, that no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. And uh, I will read this the way that me and Jim read it. 
Not that we're changing the word of God, (laughs) but it's so dear to our hearts for all these years. And we read it, now you, Calvary Chapel Vista, you know also that in the beginning when we departed from Vista, that you were the church that supported us. Pastor Rob didn't ask Jim to pastor the church in Hungary and leave us to figure it all out, how to live there and how to eat there, how to survive. You guys have such a special place in our hearts forever. You're always there for us. You never, ever wavered, ever. The economy sunk. Some people that individually supported us, they couldn't anymore. But this church here never wavered in their support for us. And for that, we're tremendously grateful forever. And you might say, Margie, we never wrote a check out to you. No, but you wrote a check to your church. And that's how the church can support not only us, but the many, many missionaries that are out there on the wall and other places that maybe you don't know of. And so to this body, all we can say is from our hearts, thank you. Paul says again, In verse 16, he's sharing them and saying that even though the Philippians were the ones that supported him, he didn't necessarily need that support. He needed it physically, practically, but he knew if it didn't come from them that God would provide in some other way. But what was he excited about in verse 16? For... uh, I'm sorry, in verse 17, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. And all the things that you gave, all the prayers that you prayed, all of the little letters and the, and the things, the people that you sent over to minister alongside of us, the people that you helped to, to send over to, to just minister to us personally. You know, not even sometimes there were outreaches. Sometimes it was people that just sat and let me and Jim cry and, and just held up our hands when we thought we were, you know, going to be passing out or something from the pressure. But we saw, we saw the fruit of your gifts, but you didn't. You didn't see, you know, all the different things and, and the ways that the Lord used what you gave and the faces of the people who were the recipients of that. We got to see it, and this is Paul's heart. It's like, you know what? I know. I know for myself that God's going to do what he's going to do, and I'm not going to suffer. I'm going to eat. I'm going to get to the places that God wants me to go and minister to. But Paul's heart is so amazing, and this was our heart, is that we got to see what you guys didn't get to see. We got to sit and we got to uh, watch the kids, you know, in Hungary who got the shoe boxes or the gifts that would be sent over or the monetary gifts that would be added to our account and we could go and do this. We could bring food to somebody. We got to see all that. But you won't get to see it until you get to heaven. And great, your reward is going to be when you get to heaven and you see. I think you're going to be shocked. I think sometimes we don't think about it. You know, enough that there's a big world out there, and God uses churches like this to provide for this big world. Paul wants them to know that God consistently met his needs, and God will consistently meet the needs that they have. 
Verse 19, my God shall supply for all of your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Matthew 25, 40, whatsoever you did for the least of these, that you did unto me. Whatever you give out of your heart, out of the pureness of your heart, you're giving unto the Lord. Hebrews 6.10, God is not unjust, and he's not going to forget how hard you've worked for him and how you've shown your love to him by caring for other believers, as you still do. It didn't stop with us. It continues on through Calvary Chapel Vista and your giving. In verses 20 to 21, Paul concludes his letter, and he gives all the glory to God. He says, Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now, greetings, we can easily just, you know, go to verse 20 and then for, for, forget about verses 21 and 22. But one thing I learned 19 years living in Europe is how important greetings are. They're not just like, hey, how are you? We kiss each other like two or three times on the cheek. We hug each other. We, we, we chat with each other. And being away, I can't tell you even personally how important greetings are. When people come to visit us and they would, they would say, hey, you know, so-and-so said hello and um, so-and-so said to give you a big hug. I was going to say names, but I don't want to leave anybody out. So <laughs> I decided not to. But, you know, those things you hold dear to your heart because a little, like, jump of joy would come into my heart like, oh, wow, they thought about me. You know, and sometimes when you're far away, you, you think that people forget about you. And I love how Paul greets the saints. I love how Paul takes the time. And and it's not just Paul. The Holy Spirit inspired Paul to include these greetings to the people. And he did it in so many of his books. And he always gave the glory, no matter the great successes that Paul may have had in his ministry. He gave all the glory to God. He never, ever glorified himself. He never pointed people to the wrong things. He always wanted people to give God the glory. And so um, just to end, I'm going, we never got to say a proper thank you um, because we moved back during this whole pandemic thing. And um, I woke up one morning and I had this song in my head and uh, I had to dig it out and find it. And then I gathered what I could as pictures And uh, Karen was so gracious to um, make a slideshow for us. And I just want you to see some of the faces that you'll recognize when you get to heaven. And you'll be like, oh, wow, yeah, I've seen you before, you know, something like that. And then there's faces you're going to see that, um, you know what, they still need your prayers because we don't know yet if we're going to see them in heaven. So um, I'm going to end here because I probably won't be able to breathe after the slideshow and again from all of our hearts uh, like Paul giving thanks to the Philippians we just give thanks with all of our heart for all of you (laughs)